Good day. This is the 28th edition of Free City Radio. I'm here in Montreal. Free City Radio comes out every Tuesday on the podcast. So thanks for subscribing. Please let your friends know. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. It is the 9th of February. It's deep winter here. It's been sunny, but very cold. Uh, Quebec is in a pseudo lockdown due to the pandemic. And I've been uh, working on a series of interviews to share with you uh, this week. The first is with an artist and a friend in Toronto, Ian Kamau, uh, who recently uh, worked on a piece called Non-Essential. And it is a reflection uh, that was shared as part of Canada's National Arts Centre. And in this piece, Ian reflects about what it means to be an artist, the pandemic, um, and uh, his work uh, in Toronto and beyond as a creative person. Um looking at the idea of art as essential. Before we go to the interview, I just want to play the audio from that video that Ian worked on uh, called Non-Essential. In my apartment, the lights turn on, the internet's fast, and the door locks. There's food in the fridge, heat in the air, and electricity in the walls. I have a polite dentist I haven't seen in a year. I have a doctor, a government, and some money in the bank a few blocks from my building downtown in the city. I take it all for granted and sleep like a stone, unconscious of the pandemic, the protest, and the president. It's easier that way. I ignore it all in the morning, every morning. Yesterday was my birthday. September birthdays are a reminder the cold is close. People post HBD on my timeline or text rows of hearts with exclamation marks. Only my mother calls. On the news, they keep talking about going back to some kind of normal. Before the lockdown wasn't much different. Keystone, climate change, missing and murdered, street killing, police killing, more condos going up with the cost of living. There were still tents in the parks, just not so many. I'm mostly home alone and trying to make something of some kind of value. Something that can be something to someone. Nobody calls the morning after a birthday. I don't know if making something can keep the lights on, fill a stomach, or save a life. It barely pays the rent. I'm not sure if making something would have stopped them smashing Seaview Church, stopped the internment, ended the residential schools, opened up the Roseland Theater, or docked the Komagatamaru. If making something could heal a pandemic, a protest, or a president. I don't know if making something can keep us warm, healthy, or safe. You say it's worth it to build something, to form something from nothing. I forget that some mornings. That's why I call you on my walks in the evening. Of course we need the nurses, the grocery workers who stock the shelves, the truck drivers. Of course, good politicians are important, and teachers and bus drivers driving the street, of course. But what about this? Is this something? Why would I wake up for this? People wake up and they go outside. They go outside while I'm in. They go outside while I stay, stock up, clean the countertops, bang on pots out the window in the evening. That mostly stopped with another rising wave. I have a doctor, a government, and some money in a bank a few blocks from my building downtown in the city. A polite dentist I haven't seen in a year. If what's valuable is what makes money, this can't be valuable. If what's essential is what saves lives, this isn't essential. What value do I have if I make this that neither makes money nor saves lives? I don't know. You say it's something. I forget sometimes. Each morning I wake up with this spinning in my head. Every morning. What if I followed it? Just follow it told myself it's essential, something of value. Is it worth the same as a person who cuts hair, who sells flowers? Would it be worth banging on pots? Would someone sing me happy birthday? We've lost places, presence, sense of belonging, intimacy, connection, esteem. Millions of lonely rooms with millions of glowing screens. My favorite restaurants are boarded or gone. The lines at the grocery, 
long. If we saw this as something, would it somehow be better? In my apartment, the lights turn on, the internet's fast, and the door locks. There's a pain that throbs at the back of my mouth. I have a polite dentist I haven't seen in a year. If I finish this, could it be essential? To someone? Would it be something? Would it be worth banging on pots? Would someone sing me happy birthday? That was non-essential by um, artist Ian Kamau, uh, who's in Toronto. Uh, this is a spoken word piece. Uh, it's an awesome work by a great artist. Uh, really appreciate Ian's uh, work for a long, long time. And uh, I had the chance to um, speak with Ian about this piece and his work in general. So here is Ian Kamau. Uh, my name is Ian Kamau. I'm an artist, a writer, and a designer from Toronto. I live in a neighborhood called Esplanade. I grew up here. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I come from doing music and writing and performing. Um, uh, more recently I've moved, uh, more into the realm of like, uh, live arts, multimedia kind of work. Um, the reality is I always considered myself to be an artist. It's just one of the most prominent things that I did was make music and, and, um, you know, and write and perform. And so I think the, the, what do you call it? The, the label of poet or musician, or sometimes people say visual artists. Uh, most of those things are not necessarily things that I have defined or determined myself, but they are all things that I do. So I don't resist them, but that's basically who I am, where I'm at. Great. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. Um, well, I guess that intersection, I mean, on multiple uh, fronts uh, is really central to your work. Um, and um, recently, uh, I guess we could just speak about the short film that you worked on. Um, and it was um, featured on the National Arts Center's website. Um, you were one of many artists around the country um, who um, participated in this um, project. And, you know, obviously the pandemic has made a lot of people think about the value of art in our lives and the role of expression um, in terms of addressing the various crises that are going on uh, that the pandemic has illustrated, but also in terms of sustenance. And I think know your work has always spoken to that um that that idea of art as as sustenance and and essential to um the condition of life um so i was wondering if you could share a bit about your the film and um how your work relates to these themes uh well i was asked by um josephine ridge um who is a uh, person who works for an organization called TO Live. They have a couple of art centers, uh, one which is actually very close to my neighborhood here in Toronto. And uh, she called me and said that um, TO Live had been one of about 30 organizations around the country that was commissioning work from various uh, artists around the country mm -hmm. for this thing called the National Transformations Project. Mm -hmm. And so essentially they just asked like, you know, how could we, how do you think we could contribute to society in some way and um, that sort of thing. Okay. And so I, you know, I've always been thinking about this idea of art and the value of art. I yeah. think because of the society in which we live, a lot of when we talk about value, I think we're often talking about numbers, money. True. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like there's gotta be more value than just that, <laughs> you know? So, 
I, uh, I'm an artist and my parents are artists. And so um, I don't really, I don't really think I've landed in a place where I could say that I have like a consistent career as an artist, which has always been a, a kind of um, a bit of a tightrope for me to walk. But I know that when I wake up in the morning, that's the predominant thing that I'm thinking about in terms of the thing that I would want to contribute to the world, the thing that I enjoy doing most, what my passion is, what my purpose is. Um, I don't know if it's all those things. I, I just know that it is the predominant thing that I spend a lot of my time thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the things that was on my mind when they asked me to do something and when they asked uh, that question. And so I wondered at, you know, in relation to the pandemic, mm -hmm. like we're having these conversations about what is essential and what is not essential. And what does that really mean in, in some way? I mean, I, I kind of know in a practical sense what that means uh, with a virus that is spreading through the air. Sure. Um, you know, and people's health and safety. Uh, but at the same time, it, it kind of, it had me questioning like, what what it really meant like underneath that yeah and um a friend of mine posted this article that was from a newspaper in singapore which basically said that the the readers of that paper or the people the respondents i should say um they said that artist was like the number one most non-essential uh pr profession given the reality of the pandemic so wow. on one hand on one hand i clearly understand what they're saying just in a practical sense like What's the basic things that we need for our society run for us to have food, for us to have places to sleep, um, you know, for us to be able to, uh, you know, be able to move through the world in whatever way uh, without endangering other people. Uh, but at the same time, just that idea that artists who have contribute, contributed so much to society um, would be viewed as that non-essential. Non I mean, it, it hit me in a in a weird kind of way, being a person that largely identifies as an artist. I don't sure. have much other identifiers. Um, so yeah, I was just, I was thinking about it. So I decided in answering the question to, to explore it a little bit. And, and that's what came out. Wow. Um, well, I think, you know, in some ways, um, there's sort of blurry boundaries that exist, you know, and um, I think, you know, I really appreciate what, what you're, what you're sharing. Um, but those blurry boundaries that don't really fit into categories around art or essential services, or even the difference between engaged art or non-engaged art. I mean, one thing that comes to mind, um, and, you know, I think addressing the question that you have addressed the value of art, um, maybe, uh, uh, points to this directly, which is, the ways that the pandemic have has really illustrated the interconnection of things. And, you know, I mean, for people who have been talking about intersectionality for many years, perhaps this is obvious, but I was just wondering if, if, if you had any thoughts about the ways that uh, as an artist, but also, um, you know, living in downtown Toronto and the city, um, the ways that this experience has impacted your work as an artist, but also any any thoughts that you have about the ways that this has forced a sort of reckoning about um, the ways that categories in fact don't really work? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there is reality. I think reality isn't in need of categorization. It just is what it is. Hmm. But I think people in order to understand the world, they break it into little pieces. Because uh, we, we, most of the time, I don't think we actually know what is even going on, <laughs> you know? So I think the way, you know, the way I understand the difference between my mother and my father is because I've kind of put them into categories, you know, the way that I understand the difference between inside and outside, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we have a tendency as human beings to do that because we have a curiosity and a, and a desire to understand the world. Problem is the world is always changing and evolving and 
yeah, the world is always changing and evolving. Period. And so once we have categorized something, sometimes it's actually out of date. Yeah, yeah. And I think things that we have difficulty categorizing, sometimes we either take for granted or we totally ignore. Yeah. Or we don't understand necessarily the value of those things until they are gone. So I usually have this conversation about art and artists and that sort of thing by subtracting the contributions because I think they're so ubiquitous that people can't even, they don't even really imagine. I know most of the time I don't even really think about all of the ways that art has impacted us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a, I think I don't have, I don't necessarily have an opinion either way about the, the idea of category of categories, just because uh, I do understand its utility. Mm -hmm. Although I think the actual reality of the world is not necessarily that things are categorized. Um, we do that in order to understand the world that we're in. And I do think humans need that to some extent, but I think there is a downside to that as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that also relates to uh, a lot of um, themes about um, time and generation that generations, excuse me, that your work addresses. Um, and you mentioned your parents. Um, I had some time to sit with the book of your dad, uh, My Trouble with Books. In fact, it was called uh, Roger McTair. Um, yeah. And... Um, I was honestly really moved by your decision to work on that project with your father. And um, I know it was probably a, a huge effort, um, but I think, you know, um, we are in this moment where there is more thinking about intergenerational learning and especially in regards to, to struggle uh, and, and also artistic expression over generations. If you don't mind, could you just briefly share a bit about that project and, um, you know, and, and why it was important for you to work on that? Um, looking at it now, I know it was a couple of years ago that you worked on it. Yeah, I mean, we put that book out in 2018, I think May of 2018. Um, you know, my father's a, a filmmaker. He's a, a director. He's a researcher. Uh, he was a teacher and he's a, a writer. Um, but I think if you, if you list all the various things that he has done and that he's uh, engaged in, his uh, various overlapping identities, uh, primarily he considers himself to be a writer. Um, and he always wanted to put a book of his own work out into the world. Um, he did that at one point. He had a, he had a book called the, the Black Experience and the White Mind a long time ago, probably in the 90s, he put a book out like that, but um, predominantly the kind of writing that he, that he does and he enjoys is fiction writing. He did write for the Toronto Star for a while and he wrote for some of the Caribbean newspapers. He was always writing. He was, I mean, he was writing since he was young in the Caribbean as well. Um, you describe that in the book and you also describe sort of I remember you describe the mountains of books that he had around him too. Yeah, I mean, and we've we've donated a lot of those, like we've donated a lot of those books, but he still has, I mean, still every wall in his apartment is covered in books. Uh, every nook and cranny, every surface are covered in books. And that's with us giving away easily more than a thousand books to libraries and to people and to whatever. It, it barely even made a dent, quite frankly. So my, my father is a book person, he's a word person, and he considers himself to be a writer. And we had planned on, um, you know, I mean, he, he has significantly more work than even that. I mean, he probably has an entire book of poetry. He could do, he could put out a novel if he would, you know, spend the time to edit it. And he had all these short stories and he has a couple of long short stories now that we haven't, um, we haven't released, but he has a, he has a ton of work, uh, but he never really uh, put it out there. And so, uh, you know, I just, uh, I had decided that I wanted to help him do that after he retired because um, he was teaching uh, writing and media writing at um, Seneca at York here in Toronto. 
And so when he retired, it's like he was writing all the time. I started asking him like what he wanted to do with those things and um, put together a plan for him to be able to finish hopefully a couple books still, but that was the first one. And um, in and around that time, he had a stroke and he started getting pretty sick and we didn't really know what it was. And we were already working on the book. And if I'm honest, I was nervous that he wasn't going to be around by the end of that summer. And so I just I kind of dropped a lot of stuff and I just worked very hard to make sure that he could he could see that happen. Because also, you know, his friends also know that he's a writer and they were always asking him for this like project of his and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we just we did the work to to make sure me and my me, and my father, obviously, and my aunt as well, who is very integral in that process in terms of the editing and organizing some of the stuff and, you know, some of the decision making in relation to the book project itself. I did the cover and the design and, uh, you know, the typography and got all the administrative business stuff together, got it printed and put up on Amazon and everything where you can find it. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it came together. We had a launch in Toronto, about 200 people came to the book launch. We sold a bunch of books. Congratulations. Yeah, no, it was it was good. I'd love I mean, my my intention was for us to do a book project of his at least once every year or two, because it's not like he has to write the material from scratch. He just has a bunch of material that's sitting there. And I'd still like to do that. But, you know. Wow. Well, yeah, that's amazing. That uh, works that you're doing with your father. I mean, I think it also, you know, is just awesome to to sort of consider the possibility of art in a family sense in a community sense i think that you know we are breaking those narratives around the sort of rugged individual artist as removed from society uh, mm -hmm. which is good but it's still there and <laughs> and um i think your work and its intentionality whether it's your collaborative work um with many different artists but also your 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 solo work, I mean, this film, going back to what you've just recently worked on, uh, non-essential, um, you know, there's a delicacy in the style and of course in your words, but you zero in on these sort of things within, I, I believe it would be your, your living space. Um, um, yeah, so zeroing in on, on these, what, 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 it looks beautiful by the way, um, but zeroing in on, I, I really like the scene where you're watering the plant and it, it made me, uh, and it just sort of this idea of the nutrition of art and the sort of essential nature of it um, that you're reflecting on there. Um, but I guess to the point and related to what we we're just talking about in regards to the work that you do with your dad, um, just that intentionality. And, and I, I've always appreciated that about what you do. Um, in the sort of resonance of, of your work. Um, it doesn't feel um, rooted in this sort of drive of output, but it feels really rooted in actual, um, an intentionality to share reflections and also to ask questions, you know, which, I mean, that film does. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I went a bit all over the place there, but I, I don't know if, if there's anything within that that you would feel like you'd like to pick up on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the, I've always kind of been obsessed with the idea of purpose. Um, I'm not a religious person. My parents are not religious people. I didn't grow up in any particular spiritual practice. Um, I mean, my, my family outside of my parents uh, on, on different levels um, may consider themselves to be Christian. I know certainly my, my grandmother does. Um, but I think there's something in, in that uh, feeling of having a purpose, uh, whether... Uh, I mean, even a purpose in the sense that it is set by yourself like that. That's why I talk about contribution so much. Yeah. Like just that if I am thinking these things or whatever, there has, there should be a reason for me to do what I'm doing that could 
maybe just benefit me, um, but also that it has some value in the world to people like uh, with this piece, I imagine that I don't imagine that I'm sitting in my apartment and going through all the things that are going through my head and trying to manage a day in a small space. And that I'm the only person that's doing that, you know, I think this is one of the only times that most of us have had in our lifetime where we could call probably anybody that we know on the face of the planet and they would be going through the same thing. I certainly don't know of another time in my life where I've thought about that, that I could pick up the phone or send an email or, you know, send a DM or a message or something to some of the people that I know in all the various parts of the world, you know, South Africa, Brazil, Cuba, the UK, et cetera. Yeah. And everybody is essentially going through the same basic overarching thing in different ways. Um, you know, managing lockdowns, managing the fear, anxiety of yeah. uh, having this virus be out in the world, uh, managing the isolation and the depression and the everything of being forced to stay in our homes or managing our relationships, whether they're outside of our homes or inside of our homes. Yeah. Um, managing the positives and negatives of that. Like, I think it's, this is, um, I think this is a, a, a more of a historic event than I think most of us are even really giving it credit for. And I think, um, you know, I think there would be some reason to reflect on that, to be able to share with other people who are in the world personal thoughts that I, I, don't I don't imagine are personal or individual simply to me, but that probably a lot of other people are having at the same time. And I think in the sharing of them, that especially the more negative or the difficult sides of things may become a little bit easier because we know that we're not necessarily going through it on our own. And so that question about the value of art and, and hearing these words about it being non-essential and, and navigating that own feeling with inside of myself, even before I read that, or even before this conversation about what was essential or non-essential um, in the world was happening because of the virus, even before that I was navigating that. So I imagine that a lot of other people were probably navigating to the same thing. So how could um, people that put things into words put that into some kind of words? Hmm. Hmm. Thank you so know. much. That for, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that, Ian. Um, I would just underline that people can look up the film Non-Essential um, if they'd like to see it. Um, and I believe that's through TO Live. Um, you could just search Non-Essential. Yeah, it's on the it's on the Meridian Hall Instagram and it's on the TO Live site and it's on the National Arts Center site. If you just go any of those places or type in Ian Kamau Non-Essential, it should be there. Thank you, Ian. So I guess um, we are running out of time for the broadcast, um, but I would just ask you if you don't mind, if there's any um, artists, could be writers or filmmakers or visual artists or musicians that you've been enjoying lately that you might wanna encourage people to, to look into um, locally or internationally. Oh man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. I was, up, I was up late last night listening to interviews by Arthur J Jaffa or Jaffa. I can't remember what his name is, what his, how to pronounce his last name. Hmm. Um, you know, a black American artist. He does a lot of stuff with juxtaposition of images. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was looking up uh, Khalil Joseph, who is a filmmaker and a, and a director. Um, you know, I just, I was just, honestly, I was just wondering, I put it on my Twitter. I was just like, wh like, where is this guy? I've been wondering where he is hmm. just because, you know, I, I love his visual style. He has a, he has an ability to tell stories in a very specific way. You know, he tells a lot of stories about black people and, um, you know, it's the kind of like inner world of black people, but also inside a visual medium. It's very interesting 
the kind of stuff that he's done. He's worked with a lot of artists. Um, I just found this uh, a woman, an artist named Anthea Hamilton. I posted a interview or video of hers on my Facebook because I, I didn't know anything about her even three days ago, but I was looking up a bunch of her stuff. And a poet named Sonny Patterson, who I just remembered this morning, who is like, um, I haven't seen a lot of her output, but every time I hear her speak, she's like amazing. I think these are all artists from the States, but in general, like, you know, people in, in Toronto, I think about like um, Anique Jordan. I'm a big fan of Shy Wisdom, who's a singer from here. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's, so, well, there's, so, there's so many people like doing so many interesting things. Yeah. I know Wally out in Montreal just put, has been putting out a lot of music recently too. So I've yeah. been checking out what he's been doing. Wally from Nomadic Massive. You know, Narcy's all, always, you know, in the world screaming and yelling. <laughs> so yeah, man. Lots, lots of, wow. Well, those are a lot of pointers. Um, thank you for sharing all that. Super appreciated. Um, and, uh, I see that, yeah, you'd mentioned on your Twitter, you're posting some questions and also links to artists. So Ian's at, uh, Ian Kamau, that's Ian K-A-M-A-U. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak today. Thanks and, for having me. Oh, it was great. And also to, uh, speak about your latest project. Congratulations also. Thank um, you. and, uh, yeah, well, um, take care. You too. That was a conversation with uh, Ian Kamau, uh, who's based in Toronto. We were talking about the question he poses, is art essential work? And uh, the piece that he just released called Non-Essential explores that idea. We'll go now to a piece of music from Ian Kamau. This is called Traffic. Watch your soul Too many people We speak about submission, but to what do we submit? Is it only the things we think we know? If it is, we'll surely pay the toll. Feeding our fleeting flesh, but not our eternal soul. It's true, it's the thinnest virtue, our patience as a shattered glass. Tempers flare like fire, burns our desire and our face to a twisted mask. It's the sickness of the city and our spirit and it's clear it's getting hard to breathe Funny the contradiction to the things we say we believe Take our time. Faster 
than a bullet And hollow as a shell we can't tell But we're becoming clones Clutter our lives with fragile ties For the fear of being alone That was Traffic by Ian Kamau here on Free City Radio. This is a weekly podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Kristoff. We broadcast and share with the world every Tuesday. This is the 28th edition. It is the 9th of February. It is cold, uh, but we're keeping it going here in the city. Um, And I thought that interview with Ian uh, would be interesting to share uh, in the context of the pandemic. So thanks for tuning in. Um, I just want to say that if you're listening and you have any friends who you think might be interested in Free City Radio podcasts, please encourage them to subscribe. They can do so through Apple Podcasts. Free City Radio is uh, the show, of course. I'm now going to play a clip uh, of a conversation I had with Mauro Pesante, uh, who is the co-founder of the art space Casa del Popolo and also La Sala Rosa here in Montreal one of the uh, founders of the Suoni Peri Popolo Festival, that's Voice of the People in Italian. Uh, Moro uh, is, of course, a musician also, and he plays in the band Godspeed You Black Emperor. Uh, I spoke with Moro what it's been like to try to sustain uh, an independent community-based cultural space in the context of the pandemic. They've switched to online, so there's a lot of interviews streaming through Suoni Television, uh, that's at suoniperopopolo.org, where they have live concerts and also interviews. Free City Radio has partnered with Swoney Television to share some interviews. And I spoke with Moro about this project and about what it's been like to try to sustain the space in the context of the pandemic and the importance of art in Montreal and for society in general. So here's a conversation with Moro Pizante. But I mean, I guess CASA is always, you know, done like a big effort to reinvent itself in different ways and to try to like do new things and um you know i think even i are uh have the entrepreneurial uh blood in our system Mm -hmm. and i've realized that and i realized that some people don't have that and uh i uh a few years ago was told that uh um not that i was told but that i was talking to some people that I know and we were talking about how there's uh, people who say yes all the time and people who say no all the time and then there's people who are in between of course and so I'm the kind of person who says yes all the time so I'm like always yes yeah yeah yes yes I can do that I can do that I can do that and so that's part of why the place has existed for 20 years wow so um, I think that's also why Keeve and I decided to figure it out hmm. um and I think uh, there was no other choice in a way. It's not like you could, we could say, okay, well, let's not do this anymore. Yeah. Because it's just too hard because it's not necessarily been hard for the past nine months. It's been hard for not maybe 20 years, but, you know, like mm-hmm. for the most of the yeah. time running a small business, it takes a lot of effort, you know, and energy, mm-hmm. not just for us at this small business but for anybody's small business and most small businesses are run by you know like usually a family or a person or yeah. a couple partners you know there's never really ever 
some kind of financial uh, um, support in any way. Mm-hmm. It's just like day to, you live day to day and you pay your bills day to day and you mm-hmm. hope to put 10 mm-hmm. extra dollars in your bank account at the end of the month. And if you can, great. And if you can't, well, you at least paid your bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the one thing that... Uh, people probably don't know and that I've been wanting to go onto social media to say something about it because it's been kind of I think a little unsaid is that the um, cultural industry in Quebec has been uh, very well supported by the provincial government and I think that has to do with the fact that the provincial government as much as people might not think that or actually maybe not just the provincial government but I think Quebec as a province in general mm-hmm. has always been supportive of the arts as much as people are always complaining about certain things um, and that of course things could, could be better yeah. but the, the province as a whole has always yeah. been artist uh, supportive yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> um, you know people move to Montreal because of that yeah. now when I moved to Montreal it was not necessarily for that, but I felt yeah. very much at home because of that. And then um, things changed, but there's younger people who are coming here probably for the same reasons. And I don't see it, and people of my generation probably don't see it as a place that is supportive of the arts, but it, it in fact has been extremely well supported. So Quebec is the only province in Canada during the pandemic that has given money to uh, concert halls Mm -hmm. so uh, they specifically you know uh, uh, created uh, a grant for concert halls that Casa and Salarosa have benefited from and are benefiting from so our 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 our, um, fixed costs are being paid right now Wow, um, which is amazing, and way more than than you know the depreneur down the street's getting, or the or a restaurant's getting, you know, or anybody else is getting. Like literally every concert hall that you can think of in the city of Montreal and in Quebec has their fixed costs paid, which means that I can keep my door closed if I wanted to, uh, and when the pandemic's over, which hopefully will be sooner than later. Um, we, uh, meaning the concert halls in general, mm-hmm. will still be there when the pandemic's over. Yeah. So when you ask me like how it's going, it's like, well, honestly, financially speaking, it's going great in a way. Yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've never had this, uh, this uh, ability to pay my bills so easily. Whereas before, I would always be late with my bills, um, you know, always having to to figure out who is going to get mm. paid today and who's going to get paid tomorrow. And now yeah. it's like I get a bill and I'm like, here, pay, you know, the, basically the government's paying for everything. So in a way, the government is, it's, is subsidizing uh, the landlord, subsidizing the hydro, you know, like they're paying themselves for some things, of course, right? But you have to ask yourself, well, why can't this continue on into the future? Why can't there be some kind of system where these mm. places mm. that if the, if the Quebec government is serious and, and, and which is why they started the fund, which was because they said that they were serious in supporting the arts. Well, yeah. if they're serious in supporting the arts and everyone always says that Quebec is always supportive of the arts, well, then why don't we just do it long term, which mm. is the one positive thing that I hope this pandemic and everyone always talks about that it's like let's try to think of the positive effects of this pandemic well it's all it's always been like this universalization of of uh, government support in a way right Mm -hmm. so it's like let's start the universal salary or let's start uh, some kind of and I mean that's I'm I'm, I'm not a historian but I'm assuming that's what's happened in the past whenever there was a some kind of societal problem there was always like okay well let's try to figure out a way to help people as a whole not just um, pretend everything is fine and 
move forward once once the, the main big problem ends you know so like fundamental shifts in thinking yeah which i mean if you think about it they're not really fundamental shifts in thinking the thinking's already there it's just fundamental shifts in the way government uses their money mm-hmm. and it's also like my i always question like the question that i'm having now too is or that i question myself is you know if uh and it's quite obvious that the hospitals and the schools are extremely poorly funded and that the governments have been constantly cutting funding to these mm-hmm. you know the education and health systems which are pretty much the you know not yeah. maybe the two but only you know not only two but the main two yeah. things that the governments should be subsidizing to make sure that they work without any problems well instead of maybe giving money to uh, an arts center maybe they can take a little bit of money away from me and give that to a hospital or a school and increase or improve their ventilation system yeah yeah so i hope after the pandemic's over they realize oh okay well we just spent a trillion dollars helping people but if we had spent a half a trillion over the past 10 years to make hospitals better then we wouldn't have spent this extra half a trillion in paying people off for dealing with this pandemic yeah Mm um i mean I mean, this space has always rode like a really complicated line, you know, between being a business, a community business, but also like being really open to social movements, you know, and activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sitting here with you in the front of CASA and, you know, there's the Black Lives Matter posters up, you know, um, this space and you, Moro, have always been supportive of social activism while at the same time maintained you know, a foot in sustaining an official space, right? Um, what has the pandemic made you think about in regards to this? To, to the social activism that we're part of? Yeah, I mean, and, and, uh, we, we, we're not... Uh, I'm, let's get something straight. I'm not actually really uh, personally involved in the social activism. I'd like to support the social activists and social activism, that's for sure, in whatever ways I can by having this business open. So this business is a total capitalist venture. At the same time, Kiva and I, who are the owners, try not to exploit people as much as possible. And yet, when you're the employer, you're always exploiting the employee. It's just the part of the capitalist system. But at the same time, we're, both of us are extremely aware of the the you know the the, the dichotomy of the capitalist system. Um, and so, the question has always been. You know, how do we uh, just make life a little bit better for everybody? Mm-hmm. And the only people that we can really directly help are our employees, really, and the people who come and perform music at our venues. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, giving a space to those people is important. And mm-hmm. so when the pandemic first started, the the question was do we what do we do you know like do we keep going do we stop do we wait you know so right away i was like no we're gonna try to do as much as possible let's try to figure out a way of uh, what i'm talking about is the live show or the shows part of the businesses you know let's try to figure out a way to 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 continue doing shows so we've transformed the sala into a recording studio and doing the videos and stuff but pretty much right away i said to myself okay well we have um, all these artists that are in Montreal that need help, so let's try to figure out a way to continue to okay. to pay, get these people paid. Sure. You know, like so that's part of the social activism, I guess you would think in a way. Like, yeah. I'm not getting paid for any of this stuff. Kiva's not getting paid for any of this stuff. But at the same time, our employees can get paid, and uh, our employees can do things that are, I hope, fun for them to be doing. Yeah, they're doing things different doing different things now than they were doing before sure sure which is also maybe fun for them is to, to learn different activities sure but at the same time making sure that some artists that are out there that you know maybe are not 100% being uh, or 100% of their bills are being paid by their artistry but some of them are being paid and uh, they're probably happy playing music so yeah, yeah, yeah. let's support them as much as possible sure Sure. It's not about me, it's about them, you know. So, and again, it's but, getting back to this yeah, whole thing about saying sure. yes to things. 
but still, like you, you got to mobilize the force to absolutely to to get this to sustain things. I mean, even like when it's a super shitty, annoying thing happening. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's the other thing too is mobilizing uh, the forces and constantly being uh, part of a part of uh, the the dis- dis- decision making and planning of stuff is tiring yeah. you know and that's yeah. something that uh is a kind of a different aspect of my life and another thing that i've realized dude not maybe i i knew this before the pandemic but the pandemic kind of of course has made people think about their lives and what the fuck sure. they're doing in their lives yeah so <laughs> yeah so the one thing you realize is like man I'm i'm like really tired on having to be always having to make decisions and I was reading somebody somewhere I can't remember what it was it's like the uh, I can't remember what they called it uh, probably like decision making fatigue you know where people just get <laughs> tired of having to constantly yeah. be making decisions yeah. and then you just kind of like you just can't do it anymore you physically can't make a decision anymore and you just you know you give up kind of thing mm-hmm. so but I, I mean I, I know this space quite well and I've been around it for a while and you know there's there's the show aspect there's the artistry but then there's also like dealing with hydro there's you know it's about decisions but it's also about like technical boring work you know that doesn't isn't promoted on social media right like getting the plumbing fixed um making sure the roof isn't leaking um uh, getting toilet paper i mean it's not sexy but this is all the stuff of sustaining a space so um yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I guess in some ways I've always been really, um, I've always thought a lot about that sort of balance that is struck here at Casa between, you know, sustaining that stuff, but also having like the public face of the arts. But I like the transparency also, you know, in, in what you're sharing. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that we're not, Kim and I are not transparent about that, that I don't think is necessary to be transparent about. Sure. Um, I'm not talking about evil things. I'm talking about like the the like what you're saying a day to day backbreaking work that exactly. not just us but anybody who runs a small business has to do. Yeah. And people don't really realize that until they actually start doing it themselves, or that you know, like you know, people always not a lot of people, but sometimes people are like, oh, I'm going to start this or I'm going to start that, and they start doing it, and then like six months later they'll say like oh wow I didn't realize how much work that was or how much work it is to do and you know what I can't I don't want to do it (laughs) it's too much work so I don't think people some most of the time realize it until they actually start doing it and even like uh, even like during the pandemic with this whole uh, um, uh, video taping of shows or or making little small films or just putting stuff up online live streams or pre-recorded videos all that kind of stuff is new to everybody or not everybody but a lot of people and so the amount of time and work that it it takes to put something like that online is enormous and we've real we realized that pretty quickly that when we thought that it was going to be a similar workload than doing a live show we realized pretty quickly that it wasn't like that at all you know like a two hour long show uh, a live show in pre-covid time was you know you'd show up at 4 p.m and do your sound check and you have lunch or dinner break and then you know have some beers you play your show and then you'd pack up and go home but now doing a live stream it takes like two days you know so it's like well (laughs) a lot of work and people are some people are we've we've hired to do these live streams on or these pre-recorded videos on their own and they've realized now it's like oh wow this is actually a lot of work it's not just like going into a practice space and you know you practice some songs and then you know okay somebody calls you up and says hey do you want to play a show and you go back into the practice space and you you know you repractice your songs a few more times and then you go play the show it's like oh no it's like it's (laughs) time-consuming yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so but but you've made that transition to online shows yeah 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 yeah. and it's been uh it's been fun and it's been it's been a learning experience which is the other thing you realize about life is that life is just all about learning and every day you uh, every day at least i hope Mm -hmm. 
to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make mistakes every day, but I hope every day to sure. do something differently than I may not have been doing <laughs> because of a mistake that I made. What are some highlights from the live shows for you so far? Um, well, something some, of the, some of the highlights are not necessarily show-based, but more in the technical ecological aspects of things where um, you know, I was never part of the film industry so I never had this whole idea of like it's a rap you know it's, it's a rap and then everyone parties because it's like woo we just went through this crazy day of working yeah. or a crazy week of working and now all of a sudden it's done and we get to party for you know whatever 24 hours and get loaded and <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah. but so not that we do that but I totally get it now so I know it's like Wow, when the show is over and everything went well and there was no problems and we did it and then it's over, it's like such a relief. It's like, oh my God, it, it, it feels so good. And it feels really good because, not just because of myself, but you see it in everybody else's faces. You, re, you see like, oh wow, like we actually did that. It worked out really well. And the band's like super happy. And there's mm -hmm. audience that are talking about how, you know, like we have a live chat going. So the audience is like writing, you know, saying, oh, wow, that was the best thing ever. And thanks so much for doing it, you know. So that just those that that's for me is the highlights. It's like seeing right people being happy about the whatever happened, you know, yeah. like, especially and, at this time. Yeah, exactly. Because and especially now coming up into the month of, you know, this month of curfew, um, where you know what's going to happen between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah. So, we've actually postponed all of our activities. So we're not going to. We're, we're trying to figure out ways of of trying to add content. But you know, some of the things that we agreed to do that we're not. We're we've postponed. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess you know the last thing I thought of to ask you about was. Um, I remember when the first uh, lockdown happened and, you know, you had to sort of redesign the we're sitting in Casa Bar Cafe side now and you had to redesign all of the sort of setup, you know, and make these walls and there's now a kitchen in the back. And I remember you building that wall, wall in the back and I thought about your dad because your dad was a carpenter. Bricklayer. Uh, bricklayer, I'm sorry. Uh, but worked in con um, construction. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering uh, at all, like, you know, and you mentioned entrepreneurial spirit, like, mm -hmm. does your family experience inform what you're doing? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> my mom was, uh, my parents were Italian immigrants and, uh, you know, my dad came here in 1957 and uh, probably worked at a few factories and then, uh, became a bricklayer probably because all the other Italians that he knew were bricklayers or worked in construction and so he started working in construction you know and then next thing you know he's you know he's working in construction and him and my mother's brother formed their own company and they were they had their own company for you know whatever 30 years until they both couldn't work anymore because of health issues and my mom's the same thing my mom is a seamstress and she's been a dressmaker since she was 20 years old so for more than almost 60 years now and so she also has always worked from home and she's always been her own boss and you know I can see the amount of work that it takes to be your own boss even though you can you know if you want to sleep till noon you can which you never do because you realize there's too much work to do so you end up waking, waking up at 6 a.m but um uh absolutely you know um seeing my parents as italian immigrants uh really uh um kind of i mean i am who you are who you are born to be you know so sure you don't really have a choice sometimes or you don't have a choice you are born as who you are thanks moral yeah well thanks Stefan. That was Mauro Pizzante here on Free City Radio. This has been the 28th edition. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. We share a new episode every week. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. If you have any friends who you think would be interested in subscribing, please encourage them to do so. Search 
Free City Radio on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash radio. And uh, also, um, we broadcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on CKUT Community Radio in Montreal. The podcast and the radio show are a bit different, um, but CKUT's show uh, is really important to us and long live community radio. If you want to reach me, I'm at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's a winter afternoon in Montreal. It's sunny. It's a pleasure being with you. We'll be back next week. I'll go out with a piece of music from the band of the person we just talked to, Moro Pizante. This is a piece from the last album of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Here we go. Mm-hmm.